Welcome to our PRBI live session today. I am your host, Tarun Chitratan, and today we host a PRBI member, Euris Petersons, on a live session. Euris is the co-founder of Jazz Communication from Latvia and will speak to us about how boutique firms can continue to stay relevant in the new normal. Before we add him on, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Euris co-founded Jazz Communications with Linda in 2008, and since then, they have been active in the Latvian market with clients and projects in the Baltic region and Germany. The Jazz team specializes in crisis communication management and comprehensive communication strategy, and Euris is directly responsible for strategy and crisis communication. Before starting his journey as, PR, as a PR entrepreneur, he also worked with clients independently and has served as a country executive of corporate communication for Philip Morris in Latvia. He holds a degree in international relations with a double master's in new media and communication and another in global challenges. He will discuss with us today on how, you know, uh, today, how smaller agencies can stay relevant in the fast changing media and PR landscape. So let me add him on. How hey. are you doing? I am doing great. Hey, Tarunjay, thank you for having me. We're very, very, you know, we're very lucky to have you here with us. Um, yeah, it's it's been uh, quite a crazy year for all of us. So before we start, you know, uh, on the for the topic for the chat, um, we would like to know more about your journey in PR. I mean, how did you get started? Um, I guess it was kind of a logical step-by-step -step process. Um, I started my studies in, uh, in uh, political science and continued with international relations. So on, on a certain level, the, the, the continuation in, the, in working for, for a communication agency or for, for a communication uh, position at an international company was kind of the introduction that led me in the right direction. And then in, in all honesty, there is no way back. And, and I mean, all credit due to uh, to Philip Morris. Of course, it's a very uh, sensitive, um, you know, a sensitive industry. And at the same time, that's why they do uh, a fantastic job in uh, preparing the people for the roles that the, that the people have in communication. So we always used to joke that in Latvia, where I come from, Philip Morris is the best uh, professional school in producing uh, PR people in the country. So, and, and that's in fact true. So that's that's kind of the the very outbreak for uh, for uh, how I ended up in uh, communication, and then everything else then went down the road. Um, I decided to uh, leave the job at Philip Morris after uh, three years there, and uh, I started my own my, my first micro company in uh, in consulting in in public relations, but. Uh, as they always say, it's the third one, uh, the third company that works best. Uh, for me, it's now Just Communications is second. And it took me a really long time to convince my partner, Linda, to come on board because she was a, an extremely successful managing director of a larger uh, PR agency in, in Riga in Latvia. But, uh, but once we, uh, we uh, you know, put the foot on the floor and we uh, started uh, Just Communications in 2008. So we've been around for uh, the better half of 12 years and, uh, and never back. So, so far so good. That's awesome. So why did you decide to become a PR entrepreneur? You know, that's not an often a usual uh, so-called, you know, space for people from corporate communication. Yeah, uh, there, there, are two, there are different challenges that are 
that one is presented with, especially when you become an entrepreneur in the PR space. So why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Uh, honestly, I do not have an elegant answer to that. At the same time, I think it, a lot of it has to do with, uh, with the size of the market that Latvia has. You have right. uh, 2 million people. The country is, is not too small. It's maybe two times bigger than it's twice the size of Belgium. But with that uh, uh, little amount of, of relatively little amount of people who live here, in the end, you have only a very uh, set amount of opportunities. Uh, and, and also then for, for, for my work at Philip Morris, it ended up being the situation whether I take it to the next level and go and work abroad. But I had right. just written. I had just returned from my studies uh, at, uh, at the American University beforehand. Um, so the decision together when started a family as well and our first child was born. So in the end, the decision was made that I stay put with Latvia, which in essence, right. that either I look for a, you know, along the same line for a bigger challenge there, or you start something on your own, and I guess we were young enough to go the, to, to choose option too. So, in the Should end, I... this is what Completely understand. Um, I mean, for me as well, this is our 13th year in business. So, pretty much started around the same time. So, you know, when you moved from the corporate field to uh, starting your own firm, uh, I'm sure there were a few shocks in place. There were a few learnings in place. Right. Uh, what were your biggest learnings in your first year of business? Um, well, it was quite some time ago, but uh, I think I think there were um, three things I learned very fast. Uh, one of them is, and that was something that one of my former bosses also told me beforehand, is that the relationship should be cultivated, which is another way of saying that. You know, without the people around you and without the networks and without the, the understanding of how the mind of your client functions. So basically, in the end, it means without listening, it's a, it's a very tough world to live in, especially if you're in PR, I think. And that was one of the things that I learned that if you become sloppy there, then it's much harder to catch up uh, again later. And I think that was largely a, a new kind of learning on the field experience for me as well with the first company. And, uh, and that's something that I've taken with me uh, down the road. The right. other, the other, um, the other lesson that I definitely learned was that you, you need a partner. Um, and I think that's, <laughs> that's something that most of our PR, PRBI members have all, already have, uh, probably thought to themselves many times is that, I mean, this is this is not the industry where you can do it alone. And as as long as you have the right partner, the your odds, also your odds ahead to larger agencies increase uh, tremendously. And, mm -hmm. um, and the third thing, which was, I suppose, if people are preparing for entrepreneurship, that's something that they read somewhere. I honestly didn't do it, but in the end, I ended up finding it the hard way, you really have to sell something before you buy something, because otherwise, if you start doing it the other way around, you probably will find yourself in trouble. And that's obviously, it has nothing to do with PR, that's true for any type of entrepreneurship. Yeah, no, 
That's uh, that's very with JustCom with Just Communications, we've definitely been successful in doing that. So, yeah. so uh, so far. That's very, <laughs> that's very sane advice, uh, and I'm glad somebody you know shared that with you at the start of uh, starting up. Um, so when, how did you bag your first client? What was it like? What was that experience like? This is again, I, I, it might be that in our conversation, I have to come back to this uh, several times. And it has to do with the way that, you know, that Latvia is. I mean, you have the capital Riga, which is almost half of the population and half of the economy is concentrated in one place. Right. So with that. And at the same time, everything being small enough, what you have, you have much shorter distances, uh, not, not geographical, but you have shorter distances where you have to get acquainted, uh, build your network, start to talk to people, start to get to know people, start to uh, meet, well, I guess you could say, meet the right people in terms of mm -hmm. understanding who are the people who are making decisions and get to know them. That, that really kind of shortens the time period that you need to get to move, uh, to, to start to get the, you know, to start to have things moving. Um, right. And um, our first client arrived already on the first month and it was um, barely, well, it was technically coincidence. It was another conversation that we, that we were having together with my partner, with Linda, with, a, with an acquaintance of ours, and it was just a direct recommendation. And it was basically one email where we were put together with our first client. Funny enough, I guess funny enough is not the right word, but interesting enough, uh, they are still our client. We, um, we, still, uh, we still have them, and it's an, it's a very interesting um, uh, organization. They are the waste management um, field or waste management part for, for Riga City. They started out as, as many of them did as a, a waste, you could say, waste dumping site, and they've really turned everything around. They're now based because you have the, the methane gas that is produced by waste. They use it to uh, heat uh, greenhouses and uh, grow tomatoes. They're doing all kinds of very interesting things. So for us as a PR agency, it's it's been an amazing journey just to see them grow and actually tell their story along the way. And that's that's something that's probably the the most fun part about it. If you can go long term, if you can stay with a client and that I know that there are many times when agencies say, Oh, okay, this is an excellent uh, this is an excellent field. We do a campaign and everything is done, we get paid and uh, that's the end of the story. That's something that we have deliberately tried to uh, not put the best or the most emphasis on. Well, I would say until 2020, because as we all know, some of the things are changing. So, so there's definitely many, many things that we have to look into into the uh, looking into the future as well. Interesting. You know, it's really nice to hear that your first client that you started with today is still with you. Yeah, that's that speaks a lot about the kind of work that you put in into the client. Um, so before we come to 2020, yeah, the big question. <laughs> Help us understand what is the media and PR landscape like in your country? How is it different? How is it similar from other landscapes, you know, across the world? Mm -hmm. Again, uh, one of the things is the size of the market. So right. when you're considering when you're considering budgets, the budgets are usually um, smaller, especially in the mm -hmm. private sector. 
than you would be used to, for example, if you're working in Germany or if you're working in, in Poland or the, the countries uh, that are closer to Latvia. Uh, on the other hand, that's why you have larger competition with the public, for the public sector. Because the countries, for example, getting EU funding for all kinds of projects and then there's a lot of communication involved as well. So the, the public tenders are, are, is a place where some of the battle happens. Um, I mean, to be, very, to be very honest with you, the situation is such that I think that a clear cut or a very well defined free and open market doesn't exist for the, for the sheer lack of size, which means that you may have a situation where you have, I don't know, you have a tender, a company is asking for a specific service and it defines it obviously in the brief, and you have agencies coming and uh, proposing their, their, their take on that, on that brief. And right. in terms, for example, in the in the on the financial side, the range can be quite extraordinary. I think that there's a there's one legendary case from 2014. I think where in the end there were um, 11 proposals from agencies, and the range in in finance in the financial um, um, breakdown was between 9,000 euros and 60,000 euros. So I mean, you can imagine. Yeah. Of course, we're beyond that point. I mean, the last six years have been better in terms of that, but that's something that kind of it's kind of a very extreme illustration of how things can shape out depending on the client, depending also on the way that you approach things and how, how you position yourself. Uh, for the second part of the question, if we look at the agencies, there's a lot of agencies that say they are PR agencies, and then it's again, um, I mean, we have to understand that Latvia is. As a country, the renewed independence is only 30 years old. So many things, even though it, they seem to be established, from a more from a larger perspective or from a more competitive uh, perspective, especially if we look at the region, not only Latvia, they are still evolving. And it's also on the client side. So you, I would still uh, maintain that the understanding of the clients of what communication and PR means and how it is beneficial to, to me as a company, for example, is still up, you know, it's still up in the air in many cases. And of course, you have the more established larger companies who have a more in-depth understanding and then and, and you have the, the smaller ones, which are very, have a very short, uh, you know, kind of a very narrow take on that. Interesting. So, so uh, uh, do you have to spend a lot of time explaining to them what PR is and how it can help them uh, in building a reputation? Absolutely, and that's and that's something uh, that you know it's nobody's fault. Uh, I mean, uh, the idea that and, and as you as I'm sure we will be talking about later on the the, the field of uh, public relations in general is expanding and it's in many in many ways changing and developing. And that's, right. that's something that, and that's when we come to the topic of, the, of today's discussion. That's something that is really, rel uh, really important if we want to stay relevant. I think right. that the, the smaller, the more boutique agencies have uh, a better short-term chance in uh, in uh, in facilitating that change and you know being more agile in many cases. The, the decision-making process is taking less time. Uh, and things that can be decided and uh, and done differently much faster is always helpful. But that's something where we always have 
to keep in mind that we want to, you know, you don't want to, while you are running, you don't want to lose the client on the way. And as long as we can, and that's the only reason, that's the main reason why I think that that explanation part, taking the time to sit down and say that, oh, it's not just we have the perfect strategy for you, but actually, you know, talking about the audience, talking about why we're choosing this platform for communication and this timing and how that's relevant for the larger picture and for the business. Now I'm starting to sound a bit like a textbook, but but at the, but but it is relevant uh, in uh, especially in the cases where you know companies don't need that uh, to spend all the time themselves on on issues that are related to communication. That's also I think the service that that that, ma- that still makes us relevant in, in in doing that kind of that education. I hope you. I'm on. I'm betting here that it's the same way with you and, and, and the same way in India as well. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, for um, you know, there is a small bracket which understands PR, knows how to leverage it to build a reputation. But for the majority part of it, we do have to sit down and help them understand what it is about. Um, we are also taking an initiative, you know, within the country itself to help the larger audience understand mm-hmm. what PR is about. Because when we meet a lot of clients, for them, PR is equal to coverage, right? Yes. And right place. <laughs> If you're not yeah. honest, you do not exist. So. Correct, correct. So we have to help them understand that coverage is the final product of everything that you put in together. And it might or might not happen, but a reputation definitely can be built. So we spend a lot of time actually doing that. You know, mm. um, while I understand what the PR landscape is like, what is the media landscape like, like in your country? For example, in India, we have around thousand, uh, uh, 1 lakh newspapers print newspapers that exist. Yes, this year has been tough for them. A lot of them have shut down supplements. A lot of them have gone bust. But still, it has seen, uh, you know, uh, uh, there has been a surgence of independent media that has cropped up, right? So they mm-hmm. pretty much bad numbers. And I think thousands of news channels that exist, lots of portals that exist. So there is a lot of scope when a client says coverage. Yes, there are a lot of mediums that we can look at. How, what is the media landscape like in your country? Um, in numbers is very poor, especially if you compare it with India for obvious reasons. Um, I think that, I mean, also for, for, for an audience of 2 million or less, um, there is about four, five, uh, three, four uh, TV stations, and, and which are also relevant uh, on a national scale. There is, uh, there is quite a number still of uh, print newspapers that are, I mean, as you rightly say, and I think that's been relevant for the last five to ten years or so, uh, many of them are struggling in terms of uh, coping with the changes that are coming with the digital digitalization, with all the opportunities to involve the, the audience, involve the reader, and uh, and make it relevant, you know, so for businesses while you have that juggling. Uh, um, process of um, and making ends meet and uh, the, the the falling uh, advertising um, yeah, income and all of that. So that's definitely relevant here. We in in terms of numbers, we have less shutdowns, of course. Uh, it's interesting enough. There is still um, a relevant audience and there is interest on the business side in developing new papers or new publications, which are not daily papers but uh, but print magazines. I think to an extent 
the uh, the weekly paper is uh, having a, a sort of a revival, and I think that's in 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 many cases also outside Latvia where I've been looking into. I think it's relevant because of, of you know that simple truth that on the one end of the scale you have the fake news, you have the extremely fast digest. Uh, content and coverage, which always then is obviously coming with its own set of uh, you know, interesting side effects. And on the other hand, you have really what you would be able to call analytical journalism, that you would be able to call critical uh, critical writing and more long form. And that's because it, I, I can say that it's becoming relevant for, for the weekly paper, because obviously you need time to make it happen. At the same time, you need time to read it. So obviously, it kind of narrows down to that to that time frame of one week, where I see that many uh, many publications are picking up speed, and I think that's excellent. Um, I think, yeah, and I think it's that you have that chance to you know actually pick up good content. It's also very relevant for us uh, as a PR company, so we can say, look, if you want to bring your point across to a targeted audience if you want to not speak to everybody but have the right people the people who matter to you if you want them to read it this might be a good chance to do it and, and because there is because there is some demand for it that's also the reason why they actually managed to you know still be relevant and still exist i think i think that's one interesting take and then of course in terms of the media landscape then you have the online portals and online everything they they still have their challenges. Uh, I think that for the bigger ones, I'm very happy to see that uh, many of them are um, working on making content more uh, relevant, of better quality, um, because they see the difference. Also, I would suspect that they see the difference in numbers. I mean, if you have the three-line headlines, if you have all the stuff that is not relevant or not digestible, uh, while you're online, then you are probably um, losing viewers and all the integrations with the social networks and uh, social debates that are going around. That's something that we see that is becoming, the quality is going up, not always, obviously. And especially your clients always see that, oh, in our case, this is not the best, you know, this is not the best outcome. We should have had a better tagline or a better uh, headline. Uh, but, but I mean, you know, it's all part of the process. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. So uh, coming to your firm, uh, how has 2020 been for you? And, uh, you know, how have you managed to stay ahead of the curve? It's been challenging, um, but I don't think that's anything new. I don't think um, mm. in this case, I think 2020 has been the year where um, and, I mean, and that that obviously is one of the reasons why the, the headline is the way it is also and why there's us talking about these type of changes right. that are happening in 2010, 20. It's relevant, the idea that uh, you have a smaller agency, you can make the decisions faster, you can go over everything that is relevant for you much faster, you can evaluate how you're servicing your clients, what is still remaining valid for the client, what new venues you have to pursue. 
it's happening. I mean, in that sense, you're more agile and, uh, and more dynamic. So I think for us, we're definitely doing better than larger companies, be it PR field or in fact any type of business. Of course, you have certain industries that are faring better than others, and let's not talk about tourism. So these are these are uh, these are realities that everyone is facing. Um, for for us. It's been a review of uh, what we're offering the clients, how we're approaching the business. I can, I, we're starting to see quite a um, quite a serious shift from what you would have monthly fees and going into uh, into um, project type of spending for doing investments, for example, in specific outcomes, and then making also the when you have. Um, when you're planning the budget, you have the base budget for that you can easily call, you know, the, the technically necessary budget, and then on top of everything, it, uh, the the outcomes define the end uh, the end remuneration, which I think is very valid. I think it's uh, for many agencies, it's also a very therapeutical experience, you could say, but. But I think that's something that we're going, and that's that will be part of the new normalcy, as we call it here. And and I think that is something that many people will have to uh, uh, have to wrap their heads around. That you will have to be able to measure much better what is it that you're delivering. And and you and, and you're completely right in saying that it can't be that um, you know. We did get, didn't get into this publication, or we didn't, we didn't come on air for this specific uh, um, uh, segment, and still, you know, understand that how we are building the, uh, the long-term reputation, how we're building the relationships that matter, and then what are the tools to do it. These are the major challenges that we've had, and and so far we've done uh, a very good job in, uh, in in managing them. So let's see mm -hmm. how. No, no, of course, it'll go well on that. Um, you mentioned that this is a great time, you know, uh, to be boutique uh, in the short term. Obviously, during the pandemic, a lot of them have benefited because of lesser overheads, faster turnaround time. But what's your view on a long-term perspective? You mentioned this is a short-term perspective, right? In the long run, what do you see the agency of the future like? Is it going to be more boutique in nature? Is it going to be a mammoth you know, multinational PR agency that will exist. What do you think, who is, I, I would say, who is, who do you think is best suited to survive in the long run? Um, it can go both ways. And I think it will obviously depend case by case. This is a very PR answer, I know. But in, in general, <laughs> in general, I think it, 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 will, it will make sense to consolidate. It will make sense in many cases because the local market, based on what's changing, will not be the same local markets that you're used to. Uh, mm -hmm. What I mean by that is that many also boutique agencies, many smaller agencies will have to look beyond uh, national borders. It obviously may not be as relevant to, to India, but for example, for very small markets like Estonia or Latvia, uh, we've been discussing it with our PR partners uh, um, as well, and we see that the projects that go beyond national borders, and I think that's what the pandemic has shown, is that in fact it's much easier, it's much 
more doable than anyone would have ever expected because of the sheer lack of alternatives that you don't have to be present everywhere you don't have to be you know on the on the on in the location you can do many things uh, from uh, from a distance there are in fact many tools that are already exist that can help you you know, uh, do project planning and management much better and much more effectively than you thought before. I mean, obviously, everyone has to uh, step out of their comfort zone, but I think what we're stepping into means that many things are doable and where national borders are already, you know, less relevant. Um, with that in mind, and, and that obviously asks for a bit of a cons consolidation down the line. Uh, if there's there's this is one of the things that I want to bring up at some point, and well, I'm bringing it right now, but with the PRBI, uh, with our colleagues, is that perhaps it is a valid idea that we should um, think if we can do um, service-specific teams that are pan-border. Perhaps there is uh, there is a way that I mean, and I, I know the the competences that we have, and there's uh, there's excellent people in all of them. So making teams that are working, regardless of the geographical location, but you know, doing service teams for specific um, for specific services such as strategy building or such as design, and I think that's something where yeah, and I think that's something like. The networks like ours are, are much better equipped in going in that direction. I think Correct. we have all those that we'll need. I still think we should meet next year in Amsterdam for sure. But apart from, you know, besides that, I think it's, it's yeah. we have opportunities in this new normalcy and going down the road to make things happen that where you have these teams that can solve especially for uh, pan-national clients that can solve many, uh, many things very effectively and uh, many... Interesting uh, idea around that. Uh, so, you know, in in the last six months, the last nine months, let's put it that way, what has, what has, what have you done? How have you pivoted? What have you added to your skill set that has helped you remain relevant? It's interesting. We've done uh, media, media training on video, which okay. uh, didn't happen. Before, uh, so so distance. Uh, we there is definitely a new a new additional investment in skill sets such as uh, uh, managing uh, video editing, managing all those practical things that are on uh, on growing demand because of the changes in how information is going around and how people are communicating. So. That's something that uh, that has um, been um, relevant. On the other hand, uh, Latvia is probably not the best example in doing extremely uh, rigorous changes because the pandemic hasn't really hit us hard at all until until recently. Now we're getting the, the numbers are picking up, but I mean the only place where you need a face mask in Latvia is the public transportation and public offices. So the rest of the country is still open. So. Uh, and and with uh, with very little restrictions, um, but uh, but but again, I think that the the major things that will you know the major um, skill sets that we will need will fortunately or unfortunately have to do with the computer and how you operate it and what exactly Correct. you do so that yeah so that you can deliver effective services for clients. That's one thing for sure. Um, there is. 
I would say there is uh, some learnings uh, in these past months that we definitely have seen. And one of the things that, uh, that is coming back big time is what I started with uh, as, uh, as one of the things that I learned as an entrepreneur very fast. It's the relationships and I think the, the human side of everything. And obviously you have the pandemic, which uh, logically brings out the human side of many things. Right. At the same time, you have you can see that these type of relations, the relationships as such, and the way that you do business, not as much as you achieve, but rather how you collaborate, how you do things, and uh, how you treat the people around you, especially, you know, obviously the clients and the media, and everyone's having a tough time. These things definitely matter, and uh, this is something where you cannot, you know, go easy on it in any, at any point of time. The second thing, as I mentioned, was that that I was thinking about that specialized uh, specialization and uh, national that I think is relevant, and we see that that's something that will be helpful down the road. And there is one very simple one: it's making decisions. And until until 2020, many things were being postponed. That's something that we see everywhere. I mean, it's like you don't need to do this now. I mean, you can do it later. True. You, can, you yeah. know, I mean. Maybe uh, this may be a project that you can put on hold, or you know, this campaign is not you know, not valid. But uh, starting to make better decisions, making them faster, more informed—that's uh, something that will, as as simple as it sounds, the decision-making process in general will be something that will be make a huge difference down the line. This Correct. is one of the lessons from this year. I completely agree. You know, um, for us as well in India, I think the digital transformation that has happened to the PR business has been phenomenal. For the last decade or so, we've been talking about digital PR, you know. Yeah. And yet clients were very reluctant, brands, even PR agencies themselves were very reluctant to, you know, jump onto that particular bandwagon. But I think last six months has accelerated that growth. I think what we would have seen five years from now has happened in five months. That's one. And second, the way we, we do business, you're correct. The way we do business uh, has been one of the biggest changes. Uh, you know, everything goes digital and keeping that human side has been the challenge. So, you know, I, I did read about it on your website as well and on your profile that you also specialize in crisis communication. And that's one of yeah. the fields that specialize in so in the last six months you know share with us a case study or share with us an example of a brand mm -hmm. that you work which has well, uh, seen successful crisis management from you i can at the same time obviously there are several things that i have to keep out of the out of the out of the case study um for um, <laughs> confidentiality reasons but uh, but the time when the when the when the crisis really struck, and for Latvia it was the thirteenth of March, uh, when the decision was made to enact all the restrictions and regulations that came for almost everyone uh, in the spring. the The other side of the story was that you had a lot of um, cases where uh, both the public and the private sector was struggling in cope in coping with the restrictions and changes, which meant, you know, the huge uh, demand for face masks, huge demand for uh, you know medical equipment, and so on and so forth. And it turned out that no one really know what you know that you didn't have the best case studies at that point of time. And right. uh, we had cases where our, uh, we had we had companies that approached us that were working on delivering, for example, face masks. 
and they've yeah and and in in you you have these regulations which are quite strict in terms of how the how these um, how these type of procedures are being dealt with and uh, we had a case where um, there was um, a shipment of um, I think this everyone has heard the news on one time or another but there was a shipment uh, of face masks and there was some um, you know there was some doubt whether the ones that were being shipped are the ones that were being ordered and then you have the public sector on one side and the private sector on the other side right. and with that and then the, the task that we had was to go through the data, go through the process that the one that is public, you know, that is public, um, and see what exactly had happened, where which certificates were being made. It was a very interesting experience, and as we always have it in PR, you have that uh, that learning which is extremely steep, and that if you can't keep up with it, you just fall. And, and 2020 has been, you know, one of the tougher years in, in, in that sense. And uh, what we arrived in the end was uh, the um, very clear-cut plan as to how we go through the process of what had happened with the masks, what mm -hmm. the certifications are, how they are being uh, managed, and we were doing the laboratory testings together. The client was doing the laboratory testings, and then it was the whole communication step by step how you introduce all of that information first to the uh, to the customer and then to the public as well because these were essential uh, these were essential um, you know the situation was crucial not only for that specific deal but for how the country and how the region is dealing with these new challenges in general and uh, and indeed the, the, the debate has calmed down. There is clear understanding of what is being done. There is clear understanding of how the process is being handled. And I think that the, the outcome is that you didn't, I mean, in Latvia in general, you didn't have any, you didn't have big panic about whether we have enough, you know, whether we have enough food, whether we have uh, enough face masks, or whether we have enough equipment. Until now, I think also the the, the public sector has uh, has done a fairly good job in explaining what's being done and how the crisis is being handled. And we had uh, in this crisis, the most unfortunately, it's not ours, but the most brilliant uh, line that I that I read in terms of communication of when the crisis struck. Was was by the Association of Latvian Farmers, and what they what they did, they basically put out one sentence. They said, "No worries, we can feed everyone." And I think that was, and I, and and, and this is exactly the, yeah, and this is the the type of precision and type of communication that was really relevant for that crisis situation, and that's been right. handled well. So, yeah, in in that sense. There have been more uh, smaller issues with companies having to deal with, obviously, with the additional stress with working from home, explaining to larger um, larger teams uh, of their employees of how to do things differently. And we have been uh, quite instrumental in, in planning that new type of communication for some of the clients, and that's been a, a very uh, rewarding experience because I think that I do not know a company that has closed down. Uh, because of COVID. There have been, yes, in the tourism sector, there is serious uh, problems in, you know, for the restaurants and for the hospitality industry in general. And right. some of the 
are closing down, but within our immediate uh, client uh, circle, uh, everyone's still up and running. Everything is working well. So, so far, so good. Interesting. You know, uh, you mentioned something about communication, internal communication. So, uh, for example, in our country, uh, there is a new stream, a stream which existed, which probably was merged with HR for a very long time, but has yeah. come of its of age now, which is internal communication. And it has seen, uh, you know, a lot of inputs from PR agencies as well. A lot of asks from to PR agencies to be able to contribute towards internal communication. How has it been from you? Did your crisis communication also involve a lot of internal communication along with external or was it just external? It No, it usually, if not always, uh, but it usually has uh, the element of internal communication. In many cases, for serious crisis uh, situations, it's always uh, very much present. Uh, it may not be an example from uh, from from uh, so from this year, but uh, we've had several cases where you you can't escape this step. You have to start with the clients, whatever you decide to communicate and whatever approach you decide to take. As long as you are considering your audiences, the first ones are always the employees, because if you, I mean, in, especially if that. If you have a real crisis, and usually you do if you arrive at that decision, if you have that and if you don't have their back, then I, you know, it's textbook knowledge. And apparently it really is that uh, case uh, in real life as well. If you don't have their back, then really everything else is um, a short-term solution and the, extra, the risks are extrapolating quite substantially. So it's, so for us, it's always been employees, uh, partners and then the more general public clients and so on, because for, for our clients in terms of bringing the messages across. Understood. You know, but typically it's always been during a crisis that people remember this, right? Uh, I remember when five years ago in our country, when we started pitching internal communications as a stream, a lot of them would come around and ask us, why do you want to do HR? You know, uh, <laughs> an HR division with us. We have somebody who's doing all these internal parties and you know wellness programs. For and uh, it was only during a crisis that they understood that yes, we have to communicate internally. And this, that was usually as an afterthought, right? But now I think during the pandemic, it has made a point, right? People have begun to understand that internal communication is equally, if not more important as compared to uh, external communication as well. We don't have to do that explaining anymore about it. Yes. Which has been a good Sorry. And I think that the crisis, I mean, or the pandemic uh, situation that we have now, and that will be part of the new normalcy, is that we have to be honest about that we will not have answers and we will not be able to foresee all the risks and all the potential outcomes. Until now, I know we've done it as well, saying that, look, if you actually go through your uh, business cycle or if you, you know, go, through your, uh, go through your team and see how they're functioning, you should be able to foresee everything that's coming your way. So in essence, if it's a crisis, you know, it's hardly a crisis when it arrives, but uh, but I think this is something that 2020 has has told us quite uh, quite um, convincingly that there are many things that may happen and many different outcomes 
uh, of actions that may happen in the future where we cannot be as, as prepared as we used to be. But, uh, but that makes it even more relevant that with those many unknowns, what you can do is at least you can have your team ready. And that's what makes the internal communication so relevant for everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, uh, this is something that you mentioned during 2020, but because you also specialize in crisis communication, I think this is something that a lot of our viewers would like to listen to, is going back 12 years, right? What has been the biggest crisis that you've managed? And can you share your strategy about it with us? Um, the biggest one has been um, a very sensitive event that happened in, in Latvia and a very tragic event. There was a there was um, a department store or a, um, a shop, quite a large one, uh, that uh, collapsed in the end of 2013. And, okay. uh, and uh, 54 people were killed, which is... Uh, uh, a huge uh, number in Latvia, and in any case, it's a huge number. So that it was, it was a national tragedy, and it was uh, it had a huge impact on the whole industry as well. And um, our client was the the company, uh, the construction company, who was uh, who was in charge of uh, building the um, the project. So. Not to delve into detail, um, we in fact did what we just talked about. We set out to understand where the responsibilities of our client lie. What is it that they are, uh, you know, what is it that they've been tasked to do, and see uh, and trigger all the all the. Um, so they kind of arrive at the checks and balance. So you would. They, they arrived at uh, a situation where they could pinpoint down the situations and uh, the tasks that had, that had been uh, asked to do, what has Thanks. been their responsibility and how they've done it. And to illustrate what is it that there is, is their responsibility and you have in the construction process, everyone always thinks that you have, you know, the company that is just putting bricks is the one that is, that is there, but the process is uh, very complicated and there has been um, a court case going on obviously about about that situation and we have been uh, at our client's side all the way understanding what is it that uh, what, what is it that they have been doing and how they've handled it uh, from the from their direct business point of view uh, the first decision was uh, by the court the first um, instance of the court case was uh, was handed uh, not too long ago and uh, and there had, I mean, the court has decided there has been no wrongdoing on the part of our client. But to, okay. to make that journey, and, and that's exactly what we did first to clarify what is it that we're actually talking about, what is it that uh, there has been their involvement, who have been the other players and their responsibilities uh, in this process. Because you have the technical project uh, creators and build it, and you have all the checks uh, and balances system on behalf of the state and so on and so forth. And everyone's involved in that process. And and um, and we have been there uh, with them the whole way. So the idea has been to understand that, uh, what is it exactly that we're talking about? And then it's that information process about uh, starting with the employees, explaining what is going on, what has happened. Obviously, you have all the crisis uh, 
media trainings that were initially conducted and but then planning for the long term and also assisting in revising all the functions of the company, how it's how it's done business and what can be done better and how to communicate it, these changes for the better so that still regardless of whether it is your responsibility or not, you can as a company contribute to making all the processes safer and all the processes more effective so that nothing like that ever happens again. It's Good. been an it's a very it's been a very challenging project, but that's definitely been also the the, the most uh, you know the most serious case that we've had. Uh, I mean, uh, it's interesting to hear. You know that, like you're you're right when you say that we all need to be able to understand what the process is before you communicate as well, right? Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a very uh, rewarding one as at that as well because you're helping create a change on an overall scale. Yes, and it has. I mean. As, as a case like that, it always has it always has an effect on legislation, on all the industry, on the industries, on, on everyone around, on the society at large, and and so there are so many things to consider when you are thinking what information is relevant and what communication must go out and where you should not refrain from saying, look, we need to do things differently, for example, and and yeah, yeah, so that. And obviously, and that's that's been the case for several industries in uh, uh, in our experience, where you really ha it's not even only you know talking to the clients and educating them about uh, how we do things and why uh, reputation and communication is relevant in their case, but also sitting down and listening. And I think the listening part is usually the one where we tend to you know also kind of do shortcuts. <laughs> so. So that's uh, that's something that uh, that is extremely important. So that we have that uh, as much as possible that in-depth knowledge um, about the industry that we're working with. And uh, I think the golden rule is that we really need six months before you can uh, you can do everything right without picking up the basic documents again uh, on a daily basis. And it really, and, and there again, I think there again, that that will be the the new normalcy as well. It will become more relevant than before, because with all the fake news, with all the information out there, with all the ability, with all the possibilities to, uh, you know, have interpretations that are not relevant. Uh, what you want to have is a team that is very agile, very well informed, and understands the process very well. And without that, you will be losing out. And I think we're in a good position to do that. That's why, you know, kind of the idea behind having a team that can, for example, meet also on the PRB, uh, PRBI right. level and work out, for example, any thoughts on how we, how we address strategy issues or how we address crisis communication. What is it that certain level that a client in any country where PRBI is active can uh, you know, come to expect from us? Okay, so I'm pulling you back to PRBI, uh, leading on from that question. You know, you've been a part of the network for some time now. How has the network benefited you? You know, have you done any collaborations with other members, um, you know, uh, shared advice? Uh, can you share some uh, feedback on that? Yes, uh, we've managed to, uh, our Estonian uh, PR part, uh, company, uh, our partners in Estonia, 
we've shown them how PRB operates, and I think uh, everything was convincing enough. They joined PRBI last year, if I'm not correct, not mistaken. Um, that has been very nice. So, um, in terms of practical um, um, practical uh, projects, we have uh, worked with uh, our uh, German partner agency from PRBI with Fomkov Communication. Um, on a couple of projects, uh, all of them have been excellent. We had a short, uh, small project with our Polish agency um, uh, from PRBI as well. Uh, the, the, but the most effective collaboration has been with Germany. And it's been also in several cases where we've asked our partners uh, if uh, for, for some advice, depending on the market, we've done that in, in UK with, uh, with Midnight Communications as well. We've done it with uh, several others and uh, also in the US because some of, and this is, this is again, we arrive at that uh, international approach uh, that uh, this is something we see that in many conversations also here at home, we can tell the customers, you know, tell the clients that we can deliver many things that they would not expect from a boutique agency. Correct. And I think on a daily basis, that ability to lean on the network and be able to offer, even though you might not have that uh, huge project coming your way right away, the ability to have that safety net uh, is very valuable. And uh, this is something that we've uh, you know, always come to expect to have. So that's a very, uh, very good experience. Oh, and by the way, the, the project in Germany, very successful. Uh, the, our German agency does a brilliant job. We're very happy. Awesome. That's very good to hear. And I've personally found the knowledge that, you know, each one of them shares based on the experience um, is very, very rewarding. Uh, it yeah. gives perspective to any project or any client or any campaign that I'm working on. And it typically always ends up surprising the client. Yeah, that you yeah. are not just to give them a local perspective or a national perspective, but also mm. an international one along with it. Yeah. Mm. Um, we're, running out of, we're running out of time. Uh, last question, right? How, you know, how do you balance your day? I'm sure you're also straddling between working from home, working from office. How, how do you manage it? You have to say stop at some point. It's not exactly easy, but I think that, you know, <laughs> I need to build frames and my frames stop at a certain point of time. Um, so work is one part of the day. Um, with <laughs> running a company on top of consulting the clients, of course, you get, you know, you, you have the second wave of work once all the kids are asleep. So you sit back down at 10 o'clock in the evening and redo the, the stuff that you haven't managed during the day. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that is relatable to many people <laughs> around yeah. uh, around PRBI, for example. But uh, but one thing that I mean, uh, I think that that word itself, the balancing uh, act, I think it's uh, very very relevant on an individual level as well. And this is just means just pulling out the plug at some point of time and either, you know, go hiking, which is not that possible now. But this is something that we're doing as well as a team. Uh, I mean, knowing how our team is uh, is working and how much effort they put into everything that they do, 
and they have been brilliant this year in in making things happen and in you know staying ahead of uh, ahead of the curve and and doing the things that are necessary for for changes to happen uh this is something that we try to do as well just to pull the plug together and take a friday off if we can it's funny enough they uh, we went to uh, my country house the other week uh, and we did a, a tour in a part of latvia just to uh have uh, have that moment and that pause but funny enough as soon as we arrived half of my team they sat down at the table pulled out the laptops and then started <laughs> typing, uh, you know replying to the missing emails but thankfully it it took only about 40 minutes and then and, and then and, but as you say i mean it's it's impossible to do this if you if you don't take a break completely agree and i hope you get to do more visits uh, to your country house uh, and there are absolutely no laptops involved with it yeah that's an excellent plan next time we we, uh, we take uh, we take away the laptops before we yeah so um we've run out of time but thank you so much for taking out the time today you know sharing all your insights and helping us understand more about your market Thank you about the excellent questions. It was it was an excellent experience. Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, that was a PRBI member, Juris Peterson, co-founder of Jazz Communication from Latvia, speaking to us about staying relevant in PR. And thank you again for joining us today for the session. We will see you again at our next live session with another interesting conversation from a seasoned PR professional from the PRBI network. Stay tuned.